Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I am your host, Justine Carino, licensed mental health counselor. I am here to lean into conversations about relationships, resilience, and recovery from life's challenges in order to support you on your journey to finding clarity in what you want for your future. We will talk about the things that no one else really wants to talk about in order to help you heal from past wounds and create a life that truly fulfills you. Please note, this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back, everyone, to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. And wow, I am really excited to be talking to my guest today. He has so much to say about what resilience in life truly looks like. And I'm honored to be talking to a recipient of a Purple Heart for his actions in combat. I am speaking with Ralph de Quebec, Marine Corps veteran, Paralympic gold medalist, captain for the Colorado Warrior Avalanche, and co-founder of We Are All One Story. Ralph, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? For having me. How are you? Good. Where are you calling in from today, and how is the pandemic going out there? Um, The pandemic's not doing too bad out here. I'm calling from Denver. I'm experiencing some snow right now, which is kind of out of the ordinary. It was 90 degrees yesterday. It's supposed to be 90 degrees tomorrow. So, um, yeah, yeah, just a little excitement. You know, you got to shake it up every now and then to keep it exciting. Yes, that's crazy weather. So is it like snowfall out your window? Um, It's not falling for the most part, but you can tell that it's falling somewhere around here. Wow, that's crazy. Well, here in New York, it's like a high 70s, almost 80s. And for those listening, we're recording this um, in the beginning of September. So by the time this came out, comes out, I'm not sure what season everyone will be in, but that's some crazy weather for September to here out in Colorado. So Ralph, thank you for giving us your time today. I'm really grateful to have this conversation with you. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your career, and we are all one story? I'm a retired Marine. I spent 14 years in the, in the Marine Corps. Um, I was injured in 2012 by an IED blast. Um, I've been spending my time now recovering in the sport of sled hockey. Um, I currently play on the men's national team. I'm a Paralympic gold medalist from 2018 in Korea. And in my off time, I work with We Are All One Story. Um, and what we do is we just travel the country listening to other people's stories and we share them on our platform. And um, what I like to do is I like to share my story and, and I've shared it, you know, in, in total honesty with uh, complete vulnerability in hopes that it would inspire other people to share their story as well. Um, you know, when people see my story and they see all the accolades and stuff like that, they don't realize that even after all that, I had still managed to lose the value of my own story. And so um, it wasn't until I took, I took the victim part out of it and, and took ownership of it that I felt, you know, um, things start to change for the better for myself. Wow. And it's so brave of you to be willing to be open and vulnerable and share, you know, your personal story with the world. I know that's hard for people to do. And bravery comes in all different forms. Um, and that's such an example of courage, you know, putting yourself out there for people to learn from. That as well, you know, when I was talking to Jose, you know, the um, 
the founder, uh, my brother, um, you know, we had agreed from the beginning that that was the only way that this was going to work, um, was to be just totally honest and, and totally vulnerable. And people, I think people can, you know, relate to that. And so I think, you know, it's been working wonderfully since. So that's, that's amazing. And I'm so happy to help share your story. I think so many people will be inspired by it and, You've accomplished so much. There's so many different topics I want to, you know, dive into with you. Maybe you can start us off with your personal story of resilience. Maybe take us back to your decision to join the U.S. Marine Corps. That day, like it was yesterday, um, I was uh, in college, you know, just graduated high school the year, the year before. Um, I was in college going to a study hall at like 6 o'clock in the morning. And um, up on the TVs, I seen two towers on fire. And, you know, at this time, I'm 18 and I, I, I don't know what's going on. And so um, at that time in my life, I was in a little bit of a rat race. I was going to college, trying to play college sports um, mm. and working that nine to five. And it was just literally doing that over and over and over and over and over and over. And so, you know, something told me that, hey, Ralph, you're you're destined for something bigger than this. Um, this isn't for you. You got to figure it out. And so um, those two buildings that were on fire happened to be, you know, 9-11, you know, what's wow. that? A couple of days, a couple of days from now. Um, and that was my calling at that point. You know, I knew I was, I was going to do something different. Shortly thereafter, I ran into a Marine recruiter and, you know, I must have had Marine written on my forehead or, or whatnot because he singled me out, pulled me out and said, hey, do you want to be a Marine? And six months later, I was sitting on uh, standing on the yellow footprints going to Marine boot camp. And that, you know, that shaped the rest of my life. Um, until That's that. crazy. So you had this inclination to kind of change the path you were on. 9-11 happens and then you happen to be recruited, it sounds like, out of nowhere join the Marine Corps and it worked out like that seems like destiny. Yeah. And that's exactly what I think it was. You know, I didn't know what the answer was going to be for me, but I knew what the answer wasn't. And I was in the, I was in the, in the, wasn't the answer part. So I had to change that. Wow. Wow. So how long um, were you in the Marine Corps before you had your injury in combat? 10 years in to the Marine Corps. Um, I achieved the rank of gunnery sergeant, with, which is E7. Um, I was on my third combat deployment, and um, yeah, I got injured June, June 12, 2012. Um, I wouldn't change it for the road. Even if I knew exactly what was happening now, how things would have turned out, um, I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. Wow. Wow. So maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about your injury, um, you know, what happened that day, and it you know, resulted in the loss of both your legs, correct? I was a bomb disposal technician um, by trade. Um, that's what I did in the Marine Corps. So our job was to locate, render safe, and dispose of explosives at the battlefield. And so I loved my job. It was um, it was something that challenged me. It was something that, that I took pride in. And, you know, the caliber of men that I was surrounded with um, just made me feel at home. And so, like I said, if I was to make that choice all over again, I do it in a heartbeat, but that's, that, those are the reasons why, you know, it's very fulfilling. I had a great group of guys around me and I knew that, um, my life had purpose. Um, 
And so, you know, I'm in a situation where we're locating a bomb. You know, someone located a bomb. And, you know, I've been in this situation plenty of times before. And so I'm actually nighttime working on this device. Um, some time goes by and another member of my element comes walking back down on where I'm at. And he actually functions the device. It ends up killing him and ends up um, blowing me up. As you know, I lose both my legs above the knee. You know, um, I remember the, the blast going off and just thinking to myself, what the F, like, what is going on right. as, as I'm flying through the air? And, you know, I fall back into my shot hole, the, the hole that was just created by the explosion. And I just remember looking up at the sky and seeing the clouds and the moon um, and just thinking, like, damn, like, I'm in it. Um, you know, my guys came in, they pulled me out of the hole, they got me to a safe area and they started working on me. And during this time, you know, like, I'm battling, I'm literally battling for my life and uh, trying to breathe and, you know, just telling myself, like, it's not over. You got more, you know, I remember praying, you know, asking God to not, to not let this happen to me that, um, I know there's so much more would say destined for, um, I just didn't feel like my story was, was finished being written. And so I had a small goal while I was on the X, while I was getting worked on, I told myself, Hey, just make it onto the, the helicopter, just make it onto the bird. And so, um, you know, that's all I tended to do. You know, I was just, trying to keep positive thoughts. I was joking with my guys and um, sure enough, I in the distance I hear the helicopter coming and I was like, oh my God, you know, it's, it's almost here. And then as soon as it gets there, my guys put me on the helicopter and boom, like I pass out. But I had initially made my goal of making it to a helicopter. There's so much to process here. You know, you the way you tell this story um, is so calm, right? So quiet, so humble. I'm guessing you've told this story a thousand times by now. Um, and I imagine, have you always told the story the same way? Was it more difficult to talk about this when it first happened to people? Have Has that changed for you? Um, even now, like sometimes I still get a little bit emotional, um, but it has changed for the better. Um, I try to minimize the words and maximize the content, I guess I would say, because I know if I keep talking about it, like I could just go down a rabbit hole. And, yeah. you know, if I'm sitting at a bar, if I'm sitting at a table with somebody, I'm fine with doing that. Um, but I've kind of learned how to process it the easiest way and, and how to get it out of my mouth the easiest way. Um, yeah. And so you said, I probably said it a thousand times, but every time it kind of feels like it's the first time. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to envision myself in your shoes. And I'm so um, impressed by how you coped in that moment of survival. You know, you were, you were literally fighting for your life. And you just mentally talked yourself through this situation. And it sounds like you were just telling yourself, get on the helicopter, make it to the helicopter, make it to the helicopter. And you did. And that's fascinating that in that moment, you had enough in you to almost reason with yourself and say, like, I don't know how this just happened or what just happened, but I know I need to survive. And in order to survive, I got to just make it to this helicopter. That's incredible.
I uh, something told me that I had to set a small goal, you know, that, and uh, that's how I looked at it. It was just a small goal. Um, and it was, it was something that I can try my hardest to do. Like I didn't have total control over anything else, but if there was anything I could control, it was going to be that. And so that was the approach that I was taking. You know, I talk a lot about that with clients, you know, being a psychotherapist is we can't control things that happen to us, but we can control our thoughts and we can control our perspective. And did you always know that? Or is that something that just showed up in that moment of survival? Um, you know, throughout childhood, you know, I've experienced other forms of trauma and stuff like that. And, you know, like I said, I was in the Marines for, um, already experienced a lot of other issues and, you know, it's always, you know, the best out of the most negative thing as soon as possible. And that was my approach, you know, um, for my, whenever I ran into a roadblock was like, okay, this is bad. How can I turn this into something good? And how can I do that as fast as possible? Because I knew before then that every time that I faced adversity, if I didn't handle it right, it was just going to build on me and it was just going to weigh me down even more. And so, um, you know, a month before I got blown up, I lost my teammate in my hands. Um, and that was even more difficult than dealing with, you know, my injuries. Um, and, you know, what turned me around from that event was, like I said earlier, you know, the caliber of men that I, that I was, you know, accustomed to being around um kind of the guy that I am today like incredible human beings and um my teammate JP I had to ask myself um what expect my guys to do and um down and and you know me being the positive person I am I'm I'm like yo if I if I was to die like I would want my guys to carry on and, and live their life to the fullest I wouldn't want them to use me as an excuse um to not fulfill their dreams and so um you know just as soon as like that happened you know I had to process you know JP's death but then I also had to be like hey I have to go live my life to the fullest for him and for all the other guys that I lost in combat as well and so um, peace and you throw it into my immediate, you know, me getting injured, like I'm still battling for my life. And I know that, hey, I'm not dead yet. I still can battle for my life. And then, oh, by the way, once I'm fine and on the road to recovery, like now I have to fulfill my life. And um, that just that mental processing helped me get through a lot of the dark, darkest times in my life. I bet. So you were saying that you lost JP only a month before your injury? Yes, ma'am. Wow. Six. So that's so you had that grief you were dealing with. You were in combat. You're focused. Then you have your own crisis. That's a lot for someone to process at once. But it sounds like you found your inner strength to to get through all of this, which. I'm kind of curious about too, what happened um, once you made it to the helicopter? What what came next? Immediately when I got into the helicopter, um, I looked up and I saw the, I guess they call it, so it's a, for the Air Force and they're like medics. 
that are like pretty much doctors on, on a helicopter and they know how to shoot a gun, but they also know how to take care of you. And so that's kind of like my saving grace is I knew once I got on the helicopter, like these guys would be able to fix me. And so as soon as I got on the helicopter, I looked up and I seen the visor of the PJ and he had like this chrome visor on, kind of looked like a moon man. And instantly I passed out. Like mm -hmm. there was nothing left to it. Like I was, I made it. I did what I said I had to do. And then boom, it was like total exhaustion, um, pass out. Um, and then I didn't wake up from that for another month or so. Wow. A whole month, really? Yeah. And it was, I was, as I was getting work done, I was drinking water. So I developed pneumonia and I couldn't travel. And so I got staged, I got um, put at the hospital in Germany where they were working on me there, but I couldn't travel to the States to get my main level of care yet because I had pneumonia. Wow. And was your family informed of what had happened by that point? Um, and eventually, you know, during that time, like I was pretty bad off. So they actually had flown out my family, my mom, my dad, my aunt, my girlfriend at the time, my sisters. Um, and I think, you know, make sure they had everybody out there. And luckily for, for myself, things turned for the better. So they flew the whole family to you. Yeah. That's incredible. And what was that like waking up a month later? Did you remember what had happened or was it a few days of confusion? What was that moment like? In my eyes, um, I was you know, bandages and I had foam pieces around my hand and I had these things attached to my legs and, you know, I opened my eyes and I'm surrounded by family and I'm like, it's like thinking to myself, oh damn, like this actually happened, you know, now I'm, no, I don't have my legs anymore. I don't know the extent of my injuries. So I'm trying to like, you know, process all that I'm looking at my hands and you know um it was sure you know especially for me being in the marines um you know 10 years I had a pretty good career um everything seemed to be going right for me at that time and then all of a sudden you know to be on the top of the hill to be at the bottom looking up again it was just you know overwhelming for a little bit um and you know I had to go through it my first year after recovery wasn't the best, you know, I battled, you know, depression, you know, you know, suicidal thoughts, you know, I, I got addicted to opiates. Um, I just didn't have any of the answers. And um, it wasn't until like I, I discovered sport that kind of gave me something to, and to magnify that it wasn't until I found sled hockey that literally I felt like I was on a chapter in my life. Wow. So how long was it between your injury to becoming involved with sports and sled hockey? How long do you think that was? A year after, you know, like I said, I went through it for about a year. Okay. Um, and then I discovered sled hockey and I was playing, you know, just here and there, but it wasn't until, um, what was that? 2014, I want to say. I saw the men's national team win a gold medal in Sochi, Russia. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching it on TV. I was actually, um, I was actually with my wife at the time and we're at the bar celebrating our anniversary and I'm looking up and I see that. And I just, you know, I look over and I tell her, I was like, 
I need to be a part of that. Wow. Since then, every day I woke up, I was setting a small goal, um, you know, figuring out the small steps that I needed to take in, in order to achieve the main overall goal. And I did that for the next, you know, three years, day in and day out. Wow. So I hear you bring up the idea of setting small goals. That sounds like that strategy helped you since the moment of your inner, um, your injury. You know, your small goal at that time was make it to the helicopter, right? And then you battle your recovery physically, but also emotionally. There was depression. There was suicidal thoughts. There were dependency on opiates to get you through the, the transition of living without your legs. And then you discovered sled hockey, and then that became a new goal. And it sounds like goal setting is a big part of your resilience and recovery. Would you say that's the case? Say any better. You know, I think that's been, you know, like I said, I don't have all the answers, but I know what doesn't work for me. And um, what happens to work for me is just setting those small goals. Um, I think it just changes the outcome of like my mental processing too. If I just stay focused on the big goal and I'm like constantly chasing, like I get overwhelmed. But if I set the small goals and I build upon those, you know, it kind of builds confidence, makes me happy, you know, um, and then, you know, I can see myself getting closer and closer and closer day by day. Wow. That's what kept pushing you forward. And it sounds like the resilience in you really showed up at that time where you had this goal set and you wanted to be a part of something, you know, and that's, that's fantastic that you figured out mentally how to get yourself through such a huge life change. You know, what was it like um, to adapt to life without your legs? It's um, it's a never-ending process. You know, I was a pretty active guy before I got injured. And so now just trying to figure out life afterwards, um, it's, it's still a process, you know, just going to the gym and having to learn how to do certain things without legs. You know, I'm in my prosthetics for the most part, but there's still a lot of things that I can't do on my legs that most pe- people would be able to. The most biggest hurdle lately is, you know, um, our the most often is that, you know, sometimes I'm just like, man, I wish I could do that. And I can't, but, um, out of that is like, Hey, what are the things that I can do and the things that I can't do? Let's do them. Well, um, and so for me to adapt to life is just to make sure that whatever I'm doing, and if it's in legs or without legs and, um, it's worked out for me. I love that you said you've you've come to a point where you're starting to view as, okay, what can I do and what can't I do? And whatever I can do, let me do that well. You know, it's like, what can I control? What can't I control? And that is such a great philosophy for all of us to learn from is think about what you can do and what you are capable of and, and focus on that instead of focusing on what we're lacking. And that sounds like that was another piece of your mindset that helps you with this whole process, this process that will probably be lifelong for you to adapt to. That's amazing, Ralph. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely going to be a lifelong journey. But I think, like you said, you know, it's it's in the mindset and that if I change the mindset, um, 
it can affect me negatively. And where I'm at right now, I think it, it's, it's working out well for me. And um, I've been able to find that purpose, you know, waking up in the hospital bed and, and, and not knowing what your life is, is that purpose. And so I, I kind of figure that's kind of why I went down that, that, that dark path. And, um, you know, being able to find my new purpose had allowed me to like pull myself out of that hole and I'm in love with life right now. So um, I just want to continue to keep pushing it in that direction. Wow. And it really comes down to like choices in our mindset. You know, there's so many, you've been through so much, so much trauma. There's a lot of people who probably if they went through what you went through, you know, 10 years later, still be depressed, suicidal, and abusing opiates to deal. You know what I mean? And you made a, a choice at some point that you didn't want to live your the rest of your life that way. And that you, in order to do that, you had to start from the inside and change that mindset. That's, that's phenomenal. That's really phenomenal and just shows you how much we are all capable of. Um, and you are just you have so much grit and resilience and enjoyment of life despite what you've gone through, but you're not letting that hold you back. I can't let it hold me back. You know, I'm, I think it shaped me for a reason. Um, I've had to take the lessons out of all that trauma and, and you know, kind of apply it into a way that I can change it positively. In my, um, you know, a lot of dark spots in my life too and so like I said like I know that's not the answer for me um and when you get yourself in the mirror anymore you got to make the decisions to change and I think that's what it came down that's what it boiled down to me is I wasn't happy with who I was looking at in the mirror mm. and I had to tell myself like who is it that I want to be um story you know they're a part of my story but I was still the main character and I had to write my own story and so um just taking that action um has always proved me to be right and so I was like I'm the main character I'm gonna finish writing this story and and it's gonna be the book that I want to write and so I want my book to be written about being you know suicidal and 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 drug addicted and and that I wanted to be ran, so I had to change that. That's amazing. And was there ever a point, Ralph, when you were really angry about what had happened to you? Did you ever feel anger about it? That first year, I was super angry. You know, I blamed God at that time. Um, you know, I thought to be thought of myself to be a good person, and you know, doing the right thing when no one was looking, kind of guy. Um, and then for something like this to happen to me, I'm like, tried doing everything right. It still didn't work out for me. Like, why would you do this to me? You know, it was at that beginning, it was, there was a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, a lot of, um, just, you know, um, I'm not that guy naturally. I mm. feel like I'm not that guy naturally. And so, um, it was almost out of character. And um, the, the 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 outcome, I knew it would be, I knew it would change the outcome for sure. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so 
just overcoming that experience is one phenomenal accomplishment to be able to live through what you've lived through to have a positive mindset an effective mindset to can you continue living your life the way you want it taking control of your story that in itself is amazing but then you go to dedicate time to sled hockey and then you win a gold medal for it what was that experience like I got goosebumps right now. <laughs> Every time we talk about it, I get goosebumps. Um, you know, for me, sled hockey became a family for me. You know, it was, I identified with the locker room the same way I identified with the guys in a military team room. Yeah. Um, you know, the camaraderie, um, the mission was bigger than ourselves. You know, putting it and making it something bigger than us I think everyone on my team did that um, the sacrifices that you make in order to accomplish that greater goal all those things are super attractive to me um, and I myself with the same kind of caliber of men in my locker room that I did with you know guys that I served with and you know I'm at home when I'm like that I feel comfortable and um, it makes everything for me work and so being able to train with these guys. And like I say, uh, as a Marine, you know, my job was to disarm bombs and I took my job very seriously. And so the guys around me, um, now my job is to play hockey. I take my job very seriously. And so the guys around me, the only difference is, is that no one's really trying to kill me now. And so that differentiates the two, but I look at both of them the same way. Like these guys are my brothers. Those guys are my brothers. Um, and I've been just able to mesh that into my life and, and it's worked out tremendously. Um, when, you know, when they sing the national anthem and they raise your flag over the other flags, of um, you know, there, there's something, oof, driving in words. It was just something, you know, a culmination of, of, you know, setting that goal and achieving that goal and then. At the same time, you know, being able to say thank you to everyone that's pushed me along and helped me get there, you know. Yeah. Up at the sky and then realizing that, you know, all my guys are looking down and they're proud. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love that you saw the relationship, the theme between the brotherhood in the Marine Corps and the camaraderie you found with your hockey team and belonging to something greater than yourself, all working together, that sense of a team. Um, it was probably so rewarding when you were in the Marine Corps and it probably is so rewarding now to be a part of a team fighting for a goal, a common interest, a common outcome. And you're right, there's a, a tremendous difference. You're not fighting for your life like you were in the Marine Corps but you're fighting for a goal with your teammates on, on the hockey team. And that's, that's a beautiful correlation you found. To me, to me, it's, it's what makes it and breaks it for me. You know, I've always felt like I love the game of hockey. Um, I love the puzzle. I love, you know, the challenge. I love all those things, but I love the boys the most. Um, and I know that once I don't feel that connection, um, it'll probably be time for me to hang up the skates um, but like I said, I'm in love with life right now. I love my teammates. You know, they're actually flying out um, the, the following week 
couple weeks from now, we're all going to train together and have a good time. And so, um, yeah, um, it's definitely a, it's a little bit different, but it, it definitely makes me feel the same in some, in some aspects. And, um, it's definitely, yeah. it really is. And you guys are currently training for the 2022 Paralympic games, right? What is, what's the training process like? What's that look like on a daily basis or weekly basis? Like I said, I set the small goals. Um, so the three goals that I have for the day is one, play hockey, whether it's at a rink or outside in my backyard. It's watch, whether it's old film or um, playoffs right now, if I'm watching the NHL. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is some form of cardio or weightlifting. And that, that's how simple I keep it for me. Um, those three things, if I can knock out those three things in my day, the rest of the day is, is for me, whether it's taking care of my mental health, working on projects, um, um, you know, making that time for myself, for my family. Um, I think that's what I've learned the most in the past year or two is that when I was chasing my goal, when I was chasing that gold medal, like I, I had this, you know, almost reckless abandon, you know, just, um, you know, behavior that I was pursuing this goal. And, and so, you know, I probably put a lot of people through the ringer as I was trying to do that as well. Um, mm my ex-wife being one. Um, but, you know, now that I'm standing back on the other side and, and what I've accomplished, I realize that, hey, I can still work to those common goals, but not maybe as relentlessly as I was before and still setting the time apart to like, you know, make sure that my brain's all right, make sure that, you know, my mental health is good, make sure that I'm spending time with the family because those are the things that make me happy um, in order to be able to do my job. Right. If that, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? And before it was just job, 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 job. And yeah, it worked out for me, but now it's still working out for me. And it's so much, it's so much less stressful. It's so much more enjoying. Um, so yeah, I have to do that. The main thing for me is making time for myself right now, making time for myself and for my family. Um, and as long as I said, as long as I do those three things every day, I can set that time apart and I won't feel guilty about doing the other things that I'm doing. That's pretty incredible. It sounds like you have found this balance between your training schedule. Like that's your priority. You get that done. You check it off the list. But you've also recognized the importance to balance it out with other things that benefit your mental health overall. And I think today we all struggle in different ways about how to find some kind of balance uh, between all different areas of our life. And I'm guessing, you know, time for yourself, time for family, friends, other things that bring you joy, you prioritize that just as much. And that helps you maintain a good mindset. And I'm guessing, does that also help you maintain sobriety? Yeah, for the most part, you know, um, I'm a drinker, so I drink from time to time, but not like I used to before. And, you know, I don't use opiates or anything like that, but, um, you know, I know that dark path, you know, um, and that's definitely not some place that I want to be going down. You know, I remember going through the hallways and talking to therapists, talking to mentors and feeling like a zombie, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And having those conversations. And I just knew then that wasn't me. 
Um, and so, you know, when I spend time with my nieces and, and my family, like, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to give them that same feeling either. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I'm just so impressed with how much you've accomplished in your lifetime. It's really, it's so inspiring to listen to talk about all of this. So for you, is there anything that's still a challenge for you? The challenges that I face on the day to day is it's not job, but make sure that I'm, I'm doing, but that I'm also helping other people. You know, I find great joy in doing that. Hockey or it's my brother with We Are All In Story. Um, you know, I've always felt give, you know, with the ability to give, especially in the position that I'm in. You know, most people think, um, you know, I need to give, 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 give to Ralph. And, you know, I'm like, no, I have. I have and I'm willing to give. Um, and the more that I do that, the more, you know, I it helps me out too. Wow. So you've discovered just to be able to give to others, that builds the resilience, that builds the healthy perspective, that probably also builds a lot of gratitude for your own life, too. And so that's giving is such a beautiful thing that I think people overlook as part of this life, right? We feel good when we're able to give to others. Um, And you've incorporated that. Is that something that just happened over time that you realize I feel good when I when I give my story to other people or when I help other people or was there a sp- specific moment that you had that realization went to it um, like when I first started sharing my story um, it was a moment and I'd never wanted to make it a me moment mm-hmm. and so I had to tell my story over and over and over. So, you know, I started sharing it with the platform of We Are All One Story. And that was because, you know, as I'm sharing my story now, I'm sharing my story within a group of stories. So it's not just my story anymore. It's our stories. All our stories are together. And when I share my story now, it's more of a testimony that that it is my story. So now I feel like I'm sharing what God like. And that kind of took the aspect of the me out of it and put him into it. And now that's why I feel more comfortable with sharing my story. Um, I definitely had to grow into it. It didn't happen overnight. I love that, Ralph. So you, you know other people can learn from how you've reset your mindset. And you've given such good tidbits of how you've done that over the years and you know other people can benefit from that. I think a lot of people have to come to the point where they want that change in their mindset. They have to be sick of living the way they are to actively make a choice and say, okay, I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to live my life the way I should. I'm going to write my story the way I should. Um, And I'm sure a lot of the people that you talk to and include in We Are One Story do that as well you probably all have a common ground of wanting to share your experiences so other people can learn from it and that's such a gift to give other people oh um when i when i watch the interviews on our platforms and you know the they give the same tidbits you know what i mean they give you the same you know lessons that they learned and you know i'm a i'm a student first 
and I'll always be a student. I never want to be the guy that acts like he knows everything. And so by taking that approach and just being willing to learn from anyone, really, um, you know, the more seeds we plant, the more people will be able to pull away because you might not be able to pull away from this story. You might not be able to pull away from that story, but there is going to be a story that you are going to be able to pull away from, even if it's just a small bit. And I think the more that we put out there and the more that we share, the more people we're going to be able to help. I love that. So Ralph, do you have any advice or tips for someone whose life has been turned upside down? Whatever the circumstances, they just feel like their life is never going to be the same. Something's happened. They think the worst of it. And they have no idea how to kind of put themselves back together again. What kind of takeaways would you want them to know or to take with them after listening to your story? For me, when I was in those shoes, um, it is, you know, I set a small goal. Uh, do so. Finish that goal, you know what I mean? I think like we talk about it, you know, setting the small goals and an overall goal um, and then just continuing to work day in and day out. Like I know it's it might sound hard and, you know, um, I, for me to say standing from this point of view now, you know what I mean? Um, having accomplished the goal that I had set out. Um, but, you know, setting those small goals, working day in, day out, believing in your own story environment that you can be successful in extremely important because if you're hanging around friends that aren't going to push you into the direction that you want to go you're going to be in the direction that you're in and so like for instance for myself I surrounded myself with great people in order to succeed I if I if I needed if I wanted to be a great marine I surrounded myself with great marines and I learned from them I wanted to be a great hockey player, surrounding myself with great hockey players. And, you know, I learned from them. Um, if I want to be a good person, I surround myself with good people so I can learn from them. Um, and I think that's just as important as setting those small goals. If you don't have a good environment around you and you're not allowing, giving yourself the best chance to succeed, um, Like I felt I was when I was going through all the dark times, I already told myself, hey, doing this, this, and this, this isn't going to get you where you want to go. This is down the exact opposite of where you want to go. Let's change that. And, um, you know, be happy with the person that you look at in the mirror. And if you're not, to be able to be willing to look inside and say, hey, I need to change some things. And I think that's hard. But once you can accomplish that, everything else will start falling in places. You know, hey, I want to be happy with who I want to look at in the mirror. Yeah, I that's such amazing advice. And I love how you brought up our ability to choose our environment and to choose who we surround ourselves with. It has so much more influence than we really give credit to. And I think the fact that you recognize that has probably been a part of your success. And there's a lot of people out there that are surrounding themselves with people that aren't right for them, environments that aren't going to help them flourish. And that takes a lot, too, to bring yourself out of an environment, whether it's people, places, or things, to get yourself on the right track. But we're in control of it. There's not much we can control, but we can control who we surround ourselves with and what we do with our time. And you have really modeled that for so many of us. 
So thank you for bringing that into this. So Ralph, how can our listeners find you? You know, they can find, um, they can find me at uh, Mr. Benjamin Boom, which is my handle on all social media platforms. But um, for the most part, I like everybody to follow at We Are All One Story. I think um, if, if they can get that, anything from that, because I think that's what's going to help people the most is not story, but everyone else's story. Yeah. And I'll be more than happy to include that information in these show notes and on my website and get the word out about that platform. I think that's incredible. Well, Ralph, I can't thank you enough. You know, your story is truly unique. Like I said, it's a representation of true resilience and recovery over the challenges life throws at us unexpectedly. And you have chosen to finish this story in a beautiful way. So I can't thank you enough for your time today. Having me, it was a pleasure. Um, I hope your listeners got something out of it. They definitely will. Thank you so much, Ralph. I hope you enjoyed listening to the information shared during this episode. Please consider subscribing so you can stay updated when new episodes are released. And don't forget to check out the podcast show notes to find any resources that were mentioned in today's conversation. Thank you for listening and enjoy all the moments your day has to offer you.